Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Before we go into our word, uh, I just want to ask, uh, ask us to reflect on, on, on this thing. Um, and, and it is this, that uh, the point... The point of our Christianity is Christ-likeness. Can we agree on that? Yes. The point of our Christianity is Christ-likeness. So, what tools does Jesus use to form Christ-likeness in us? Holy Spirit, yes. The Bible, yes. Community, yes. God uses the Bible, uses the Holy Spirit, uses discipleship, and uses community. I want to focus on this issue of community for a second, um, because today is Connect Sunday. And so we want to talk about uh, how God uses people in our lives to form His image. By show of hands, how many of us have ever been blessed by a person? Hopefully that's all of us. How, do, how many of us have been deeply annoyed by a person? That's more of us. <laughs> how many of us have ever just like, tried to avoid someone because you just couldn't deal with that? <laughs> how many of us have been deeply hurt by a person? I think that's probably also all of us. How many of us were just ne- never just going to raise our hands? We're just like... Where's this going? Where's this going? Here's where it's going. Is that um, that God uses people to help us along and to prune and to form his image in us. And often how we respond to these different scenarios that I was talking about, how we respond to people that we like who bless us, how we respond to people that we don't like so much who rub us up the wrong way, how we respond in times of hurt, even betrayal, how we respond when it's time to forgive or when somebody else insists that we need, uh, uh, we need their forgiveness because we've offended, or all of those things. Our response kind of indicates where we are on the journey of Christ formation. And so it's important to reflect on that, but it's also important to realize uh, that if we are committed to the process of Christ formation, we also, by process of logic, have to be committed to people. We can't be committed to Christ formation and not be committed to people if God uses people to form Christ in us. Hey, that's some powerful logic, right? And uh, and so what do we do sometimes when we're not sure how committed we are to the process of pruning? When we are in in company of people that we're not sure, do I like these people? I'm not so sure. Um, I tend to avoid them. And... uh, and uh, what do I do when I'm in a community of people and somebody hurts me? Well, I'll pull away from that community. Uh, what do I do if I uh, am going through some stuff, uh, but I really don't want to be held accountable? I don't want to confess. I don't want, what do I do? I avoid and I, and, I, and I detach. But in doing those things, I forfeit the opportunity for Christ to be formed in me. Well right? right? Um, 
But when I do the hard work of staying engaged, as hard as it is, I stay with people, I'm held accountable, I confess, I receive the pruning, I say I'm sorry, I also say I forgive you. I, I, I learn to engage with people in a, in a, with, with, uh, with long-suffering and patience and, uh, and, uh, and joy and all of these amazing things. I, I am participating in the process of Christ forming his image in me. The good news for you is that in this church, we've thought this through. We've got a solution. You want Christ? That's amazing. You're in the right place. We have got these amazing things called connect groups. And connect groups are such a simple thing uh, that we do naturally, right? We gravitate around community. But we, we have these, these communities of Christ followers that we get to interact with on a regular basis. And man, I tell you what, if you are in a connect group, then you know this to be true. There is somebody there waiting to test your patience. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> I mean, there's people waiting to bless you and do other things, and it's amazing. But, um, but, but, but there's going to be those moments, and we get to practice in those moments, right? We get to practice. What would Jesus do in these moments? We get to practice. <laughs> How do I reflect Christ in my response? Or that was a terrible response. How do I reflect Christ in the follow-up conversations that need to happen? All of those things stretch us and form Christ in us. What I want to invite you to, because it's good for us to put... Um, our actions together with our faith, right, is, is to uh, make a commitment together to embrace community this year. And to embrace community, not for the, perp- not for the sake of embracing community. You, you know how we go on in this church about connect groups, and some of you are joining us, you're failing you, so you're like, okay, I'm still connect groups, what's that? Some of you have been here for two weeks, and you're like, okay, I've heard enough of connect groups. Uh, do you know how we hop on about connect groups? It, if, if you are in a connect group, it makes very little difference to my life. So why is it that I make it my job to ensure that you are in a connect group? Because what I'm committed to is as a body moving towards Christ-likeness. Yeah, right? And so, and so it's important that we commit together uh, right at the start of the year that this is what I'm going to commit to. And it's going to be a process of pruning. I accept that ahead of time. It's going to be a process of pruning. But you know what the promise is with pruning that, 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 that Jesus uh, makes? Is that when we are pruned, what happens? We bear more fruit. That's the process of pruning. It's not a, it's not a, a, a judgment or a, a, a malicious thing by God. It, he prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. Uh, and so here, here's the action. Is that if you are uh, currently not in a connect group, we're going to give you an opportunity to join a connect group today. And how are we going to do that? Um, the, the QR code on the screen, you can, if you, you can scan that QR code. It'll take you to a form that you can fill in. That form uh, will, will come to us, and we'll be able to engage with you about the type of connect group um, that is relevant for you uh, and help you to get plugged into that connect group. We also have our ushers who have uh, physical forms, uh, cards, uh, that you can take and fill in. So if you'll just please raise your hand if you um, uh, are, are not in a connect group, you'd like to get into a connect group, uh, and our ushers will uh, pass those through to you. There's also an opportunity for you to be able to start connect groups. Um, and we love, we love it when we start connect groups because we're helping to facilitate those moments of Christ formation 
and we're helping to, the, the, the more connect groups that we have all over the city um, on any given night, the better, because we just have this incredible movement of Christ being formed all over the city. Um, it, that, that, that our interaction is not a once a week on a Sunday where we come together and we worship in a big gathering or off we go, but that we continually outwork the word um, in, in our hearts together in community. So if the ushers haven't gotten to you, please keep your hands raised. They will get to you. The cards, uh, and, or you can scan, scan the thing. After the service, we ask you to please just drop off the cards with the, the ushers. There's also a table at the back that is set up. If you want to know more about Connect Group, so you're a little bit suspicious, and you... <laughs> That's okay. We'll hear, we're here for you. We're, we're going to answer your questions. You want to know how it works, what's the commitment, how much do you have to pay? Uh, <laughs> we'll answer those questions uh, at the back, so come through and see us after the service. Amen. As we head towards the Word, if you haven't got the form yet, just keep your hand raised and the ushers will, will help you out. So the series that we are currently on is, um, is an amazing series, right? The Set Apart, um, Set Apart series. And we, we, are, we are delving into and exploring uh, the holiness of God and what that means for us. God is holy. And he's amazing. What does it mean for us? What does that mean um, to, to our lives? Often when we think of uh, this, this term holiness, the things that come to mind are, are often to do with, uh, with righteousness or moral standing. So, so when we say somebody is, is holy, what we mean is that they, they have like a, a high moral standard, you know? So that's kind of like where this term like holier than thou uh, uh, comes. Oh, oh, holier than thou. I mean, okay. But, but holiness is a word that attempts to describe the fact that God is so far removed and so unique and so unlike anything that we know that he is utterly different. Now we know theologically that when we say far removed, we're not talking about distance because God is with us. But in terms of comparison, there really is nothing that we can compare him to. And so he is so set apart. And so we call, what do we say to, to kind of wrap our minds around that? Holy. God is, is holy. God is set apart. He cannot be compared. I appreciate uh, the, the, the holiness and the, and the set apartness of God because this, this God who is holy, this God who is set apart, is also able to make People, things, and even time holy. He's able to make, he's able to give holiness to other things. How does he do that? Well, if holiness is set apartness, God, who is the set apart one, sets things apart. And so Aaron, the brother of Moses, was set apart for the work of ministry. He was to be the high priest, and God set him apart. Aaron was holy. When, when uh, uh, Moses encountered God at the burning bush, what did God say? Take your sandals off. Why? Because the ground 
that you're standing on is holy. What does that mean? That the ground became righteous and morally high? No. It was set apart, demarcated, boundaried, and protected for purpose. It was set apart. Things like the, 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 the tools and the instruments that were used in the tabernacle and in the temple were holy instruments. What does that mean? Were they like especially pure and well-behaved? No. They were set apart for purpose. They were not to be used for anything else except that which God had, had ordained them for. They were set apart things, holy things. God is able to call time holy. And so he would give the uh, people of Israel uh, festivals and feasts and, 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 um, and, and dates and times that they, they, they had to observe. And when they observed these things, when they observed these festivals and these calendared uh, uh, feasts, that time became holy. Yeah. It, became ho it became set apart in the sense that that time on the calendar was not to be contested. It was set for particular purpose. And so we, now we have this God who is a set apart God, set apart from apart from anything that we could think or imagine compared to, compare him to, who sets people apart, sets things apart, and sets times apart. God is holy. And this holy God, this set-apart God, desired, this is, this, this is mind-blowing, he desired to draw near to you and I. But therein was a problem. Because we learned last week that um, there was a time when our communion with God was perfect, unhindered, and because of sin, it was broken. And there was this separation. But as we track through the Bible, we see that God never let go of his desire to want to relate closely with his people. And so he picks a, 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 a man, he picks the man Abraham, and through Abraham and his family, God is going to outwork a strategy to bring all people back into communion with him. When we fast track, we find once God has brought to the people of Israel out of Egypt, that God is now communing at a distance with the people. Where's God when he's communing? He is on the mountain, right? He's on the mountain and Moses goes up to commune with God. And Moses comes back down and Moses tells the people what God is saying. This, is, this in itself is incredible. It's miraculous. The fact that God, the presence of God, descended on this mountain and was in closer proximity to people. And, and, um, and you know, God tried to engage with the people and they were so scared that, like, Moses, you do it. Um, <laughs> tell us how it goes, you know. Um, but it was incredible. It was incredible. God was doing it. He was doing it. He had affected his plan and the wheels were in motion. But God was not satisfied to be on the mountaintop and his, pe his people would behold him from afar. So what did he do? 
God moves from the top of the mountain down into the community. And so he says to Moses, Moses, set this tabernacle, and here is the parameters, and here are the rules, and here's how you ought to do it. And when it is done, the Bible tells us that he, the presence of God comes and it rests in this place. And it's amazing because it moves the narrative forward from God being absolutely distant to us to God being on the mountain to God being within the community. But there's a problem. God is absolutely holy. Absolutely set apart. How is a absolutely holy God going to interact with a corrupt people without destroying them? That is the question that is addressed in the book of Leviticus. The entire book of Leviticus answers this one question. How is God going to live amongst these people? If this question is not answered, the desire to live amongst the people might be fulfilled, but the next thing that's going to happen is everybody's going to die. And so Leviticus comes into play. And God says, there's a plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set these things in place. Here are the methods of preparation. Here are the methods of purification. Here are the sacrifices. Here are the feasts. Here's what I need you to do. And if you do these things, it's going to be sufficient that God can be within our midst. Now, not perfectly, not what we had in Eden, but he's around. He's with us. And also, you're going to have to do these things over and over again because it's actually not the best solution. It's actually not the best solution. It doesn't quite hit the mark. But we need something. So here we go. Here's what I need you to do. And so we have uh, uh, this Leviticus 16, which details God uh, giving instructions to Moses and Aaron about the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 sits in the middle of Leviticus. All the way leading up to Leviticus 16 is kind of the, 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 the procedures around preparation. How are we going to prepare ourselves to engage with this awesome and absolutely holy God? And then Leviticus 16. After that, it's all the laws. How are we going to retain and live out relationship with this God? So Leviticus, in as much as, you know, we kind of read it and it's like, how am I ever going to get through this? It's sacrifice, it's this, it's festivals, it's feasts. When we read it within the context of an answer, here Leviticus is an answer to God wanting to dwell with us. And what Leviticus does is it reveals the holiness of God. It, it, it says this, that God is so holy, for him to dwell with us is going to take some doing. It's going to take some doing. What I want to suggest to us is that from the reading, and I'm, I was tempted, by the way, to, to read the whole of Leviticus chapter 16, to us, um, but I didn't want anyone falling asleep. So, but read it in your own time. It's amazing, and it'll really uh, uh, paint paint the picture for for us. But through a reading of chapter sixteen, there are three things that, um, or a minimum of three things that I think uh, are highlighted that um, are an answer to this question: What is going to be required for God to dwell amongst us? We're going to need a representative. We're going to need ritual cleansing. And we're going to need to be in right standing. Need a representative. 
ritual cleansing, and we need to be in right standing. When we read, and before actually we go into verse 2, I just want to read to you how chapter 16 starts. So that's from verse 2, but here's verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Now, now, problem, right? I, I don't know. That, that's where I stopped. That's a, okay, wait. wait. I see the problem here. I see the problem. God, I see your problem and I see the people's problem. You want to be with these people. They kind of like the idea of having a God who represents them. And, 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 it's, and it's amazing because then they, get, they prosper as a nation. But if you are around, and by the way, the sons, Aaron was set apart, right? We said that at the beginning. He was set apart. He was the high priest. High priest. No other priest higher than this guy. And his sons were also called to be priests alongside him. These sons, the high priest's sons, approached God and died. Now what about the rest of us? <laughs> From which side must I approach? If the, the high priest's sons approached and died. So, so, so the problem is clear here that, that we need to resolve this issue of how are we going to live together, corrupt man with the sinless and pure God. In, in, in verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat uh, that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe, in, bathe his body in water and then put them on. So, in engaging, in interacting with us, in coming into communion with us, the first thing that God does is he instates a high priest. I want to be in your midst, but in order for that to happen, you're going to need a representative. Yes. And what is this representative going to do? Aaron was going to minister in the Holy of Holies. He's going to enter in and he's going to minister according to all that was detailed in chapter 16 once a year. Now, the way that the temple was set up is that you had the outer court, right? The outer courts that's outside. Everybody's welcome. Go in and out. Then you had the inner court, okay? We're getting, we're getting close to the action. A little bit more limited. Some people are not allowed into the inner court, but generally the nation of Israel, you, you, go, you go into the inner court. Okay. Now, you have what is called the holy place. And if we're saying that holy is set apart, then in essence, what this area is, this room, is the set-apart room. This is the set-apart room. Limited access. Limited access room. After the limited access room is the most set-apart 
So we have the set-apart and the most set-apart. In the most set-apart, it is so set-apart that nobody is allowed in there. One guy in the entire country can go into that room once a year. That's how set-apart this place is. And so he, he's able to enter in there. But we have now learned that you don't just go into the presence of God. When, when these guys that, that we read about at the beginning, the two sons of, of, of Aaron, if you go back to chapter 10, it'll explain to you exactly what happened and why. See, God had given Moses instructions on how to worship. Moses gave those instructions to Aaron. Aaron performed those instructions and he set up the sacrifice. What happened afterwards in front of all the people is that fire came out from the presence of God and consumed the sacrifice. The sons of Aaron watching this were like, all right, fire. So what they did was they, put to, they took some incense, made some fire, put some fire together, and they decided they are going to approach the presence of God with what the Bible calls unauthorized fire. That means God didn't tell them to do it. And as they were approaching, because this, I don't know, like, I don't know, I'm trying to get into their psyche, but I don't know if it's like they were looking at it like, wow, that's a neat trick. Let's, let's see if we can do it. May, I don't know. But, but here we are. They're approaching. What happens? Fire comes from the presence of God and consumes them. Burns them to a crisp. Their cousins had to come in and gather the remains, literally. And it's there, son. unauthorized fire so so everybody has this in mind guys don't just approach here this God is a holy God and that's why even at the beginning of the instructions about the day of atonement there's a reminder there's a reminder about what happened hey guys we we the most important day of our calendar is coming up but let's not forget what happened to the first two guys who decided on their own volition to approach with their own fire so let us approach because that's what god wants us to do but let us approach with reverence in our hearts recognizing that we are dealing what we are dealing with is not a normal god it is a set apart god you see, this set-apartness was a big deal because you could have in this day household gods, household idols, and people had them. You could, you could, you could carve an idol, it, it would represent your god, and you could take it to your house, and you could put it in, in, your, in, your, in, your, uh, in your house and worship that god, and you could have as many as you wanted, and they all served a particular purpose, but they did not require any circumspection on your part. They didn't require any accountability. You did not have to then set yourself apart in order to engage with them because they were not set apart. Yeah. We were, um, last year I was, we, I was in um, uh, Poissai and I were in the, in the, in the Philippines and, uh, and, we, and we did a bit of a tour in the city of, um, of, uh, of Manila and uh, I, I, was, I, I was so um, uh, enthralled with the with the kind of the, the religious monuments and and, uh, and and the devoutness and and, and they begin to, they began to tell me about um, uh, everywhere I'd go I'd see the statue of the baby Jesus 
and, and they were telling me about the story of the baby Jesus and, and how uh, uh, when the Spaniards first encountered them, the, the, the Catholic Spaniards came with this, this uh, uh, baby Jesus, and that's how they were introduced to uh, Christianity. And many people in, in their homes still have this baby Jesus. And, uh, and it's, it's revered, it's, it, you know, it's respected. But they say this, they said, um, uh, every now and then you walk into somebody's house and they've turned the statue around to, to face the wall. Um, so that the baby Jesus can't see what they're getting up to. <laughs> and then when they feel pure again, they <laughs> so, so, like, hmm, not set apart. Not set apart. Um, and it was the same idea. People had these household things that were, they were not set apart. And so now, this God was introducing this idea of, in order to interact with me, it's going to cost you. Uh, and we, I, because I'm set apart, and therefore, and therefore, you have to be set apart. And so Aaron would enter in once, once a year. In order to enter in, Aaron had to pay a price. Aaron had to pay a price. It says, bring a bull, bring the ram, and there are other animals that we're going uh, we, to we're we're read about. Because, saints, sin is costly. Sin is costly. Uh, the Israelites, they, they understood the sin was costly. They had a visual picture, and they had an economics, you know, economic understanding of the fact that sin is costly, because they had to pay for their sins. They had to pay all the time. They had to part with their livestock yeah. on a regular basis because of sin. We sometimes lose sight of just how costly um, sin is uh, because we quickly appeal to, no, 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 but it's covered. Uh, but we lose sight of the fact that uh, sin is costly in relationships. It's costly uh, in the trauma that we create. Uh, people around us, it's costly in trust, it's co- sin is, is just generally, the fact that I have to have a, um, a, a, a paid subscription to a security company for my house tells me that sin is costly. <laughs> sin is costly. As part, the, the, the high priest, there's a detail, remember that detail about the linen? Uh, on verse 4, he shall put on the holy linen coat, the set-apart linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the set-apart garments. And, uh, you know, we, we can read past that because, okay, well, whatever, it's linen, and, and, and move on. Uh, but wh- when you come to understand the actual uniform that Aaron would wear, then you realize, hang on a moment, uh, uh, this was a downgrade. This was a downgrade for, 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 for Aaron to walk around with just linen because Aaron wore rich robes and glorious garbs. He had the turban and it had a gold plate on it. He had an ephod and it had, it had 
precious stones. He had gold uh, ornaments jingling from his from his uh, from 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 his clothing. Um, when he had he, the, the, the colors that Aaron wore indicated that uh, that he was royalty. So 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 there were certain colors, right? And we know this. They were difficult to produce, like blue and purple and all of that. And so if you wore those colors, it meant that you parted with money to be able to make those colors or to buy those colors. And so here is a guy that when he walked around, you took note, right? Also because he jingled. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> there are bells and whistles, right? You, you took note because, okay, this guy, this guy looked, if, if you were to consider what does a holy guy look like, and you all, you'd be like, yeah, that's our guy. That's the holy guy. That's the highest priest in the land, and we revere him. And he walked around until the day of atonement when God would say to him, strip off all your glory in order to enter in. Moses was, not Moses, Aaron was required to, to cleanse his body, so to wash before he put these on and afterwards when he had performed the sacrifices. So now here's, here's a question that I want to ask you. Can you think of anyone who was able to enter freely into the presence of God, who paid for sin, who was stripped of his glory, and was cleansed through baptism? Jesus. Come on, I can't hear you. Jesus. Jesus. At the very start of this relational engagement, God was already communicating that you are going to require a representative. The representative is a high priest. The high priest that I'm going to give you now is a stopgap. He is insufficient. But there is an all-sufficient one who is going to come, and he is going to be your high priest. And how will you recognize him? He will, he's the only one who's able to enter in. He will carry and pay for your sins. He is stripped of his glory, and he will... Cleansing was required of him as much as it was required of you. What's the underlying message? The, the holiness of God is revealed in the cost of relationship with God. And so a representative is required. And ritual cleansing is required. In verse 22, 24, it says, He shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe, in, and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And then skip to verse 28. He who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. Let me explain what we, we, we've just read here. There's, there's three, three aspects of, of, of cleansing. So we spoke about the cleansing that Aaron has to go through before and after the sacrifice. But there's this, a, a, another person here who is uh, appointed for cleansing. And uh, that is the... So, so what would happen is, on this day of atonement, apart from all the other animals that have already been indicated that must be brought in for sacrifice, two goats must be identified, and, um, and they must be brought before Aaron. And what happens is that lots would be cast for, um, for, for these animals, a, a lottery in essence, and uh, the one goat would be 
assigned towards uh, sacrifice, and so it will be sacrificed before God as a sin offering. And the other goat will be brought before Aaron, and he would lay his hands on the head of the goat, and he would confess the sins of the nation on, on, this, on this goat. And as he confessed the sins of the nation, the sins of the nation would be transferred onto the head of this goat. Then there would be a guy who was predetermined, who had been prepared, and this guy's job is he would take the goat and lead it out of the camp into the wilderness. He would drive the goat into the wilderness and desert it there, presumably to wander the wilderness and die. He would then have to return, but before he could enter the camp, he had to cleanse and to wash his body. And then there would be another guy, because there are burnt offerings being done and, and sacrifices, sorry, being done within, within the camp. Those, burnt, uh, 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 those sacrifices for, for, for sin had to be taken out of the camp, carried out of the camp, the skin, the, the flesh, the feces, whatever else, carried outside of the camp, burnt to ashes, completely destroyed outside of the camp. The guy who did that work was also required to be cleansed. So what do we have? We have a high priest what is the high priest's job? He mediates. Mediates between us and God. He requires cleansing. He needs to be cleansed. We have this guy who drives out the goat. The goat, which was called the scapegoat, uh, which is where we get the, 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 the scapegoat terminology in our language today. That wasn't Shakespeare. Thank you. <laughs> that was from the Bible. <laughs> and then we get the third guy, who's tasked with carrying out the remains of the, of the, uh, the, the, the sin offering and burning it on the outside of the camp, and he requires cleansing. All of them required cleansing. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you think of anyone who functions as a high priest and mediates between us and God in, for our sins? who is, was called to both be a scapegoat and to lead sin out of our camp and drive it to the wilderness, who carried in himself the sin of the world and was destroyed outside of the camp at the place of the skull. Sorry, I can't hear you. Jesus, Jesus reveals the holiness of God. In the ritual cleansing and the requirements for relationship, the holiness of God is revealed. What it is going to require. So we have a God who desires to engage with us, but in order for this engagement and this communion to happen, we are going to need a representative, we are going to need ritual cleansing, and we are going to need to be in right standing. Okay. And so the, those two goats that we spoke about, says it, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. That is for the people, that's Aaron. And, uh, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, which is sprinkling, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Aaron is required to take these two goats and one one of the goats is required to sacrifice, to take that blood and to sprinkle it on the mercy seat 
and in front of the mercy seat. Why? Because right standing with God stands on two legs. The first leg is the appeasement of the wrath of God. Propitiation. In the sacrifice of this goat, in the presenting of its blood, there is an appeasement of the wrath of God. It is saying, God, we, you and I are in right standing because there is blood between us. And yet we know that even this action was a stopgap. Even this was a temporary measure because they had to keep doing it and doing it over and over and over again. But it's the one leg, the one leg of the right standing. The other leg is what we call expiation, and that is the atoning for sin. Something must be done about the sin that has been committed. You see, it's not that we can just say to God, well, the wrath part has been taken care of, and so just forget about the sin. Just wipe the slate clean. And let's begin again. God doesn't wipe the slate clean and forget about it. That's called corruption. God requires justice. And justice demands an answer. Justice demands an answer. And by the way, justice still demands an answer today. In the corporate sense, the macro sense that we're talking about, but also in our individual lives, some of you are still struggling with your relationship with God because you haven't seen His justice in your life. You still feel like there are areas in your life, there are things that have been done to you, people who have wronged you, and you have not seen the justice of God over them. But I'm here to tell you that justice requires an answer. God is a God of justice. And he does not forget. We know he does not forget because he was willing to sacrifice his own son for the sake of justice. So that he is not a corrupt God. If he overlooks your justice that is due you, he will be a corrupt God. He's not about to overlook your justice. In fact, you ought to be thankful that he probably hasn't delivered that justice because it is mercy. And mercy is an umbrella that extends to all of us. Because the moment he delivers the justice that I am crying for on this person, on this person, he also has to deliver the justice that somebody else is crying for on this person. It's a matter of mercy. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. The right standing with God rests on these two, these two legs. So at this point that I thought about doing a joke about Jesus being the goat, but like <laughs> so, sometimes that lands, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> goat, greatest of all time. Come on, old people. <laughs> I had to explain it to Pastor Simon, so. 
<laughs> and so, the reason that we can commune with God is because these requirements have been met. The representative, the rep representative who is our high priest, Jesus Christ, our eternal high priest. The ritual cleansing, Jesus Christ, through his blood, who cleanses us and cleanses us completely and cleanses us eternally. The right standing, because Jesus became the two goats. He became the goat who was the scapegoat, who was driven outside of the camp and carried the sin with him and also became the goat of expiation who atoned for our sin, who answered this question, what is to be done with the sin? Jesus reveals the holiness of God. We stand to our feet. Can I, um, can I, Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg, will you, will you come join me up here? Mzamo, if you'll uh, join me up here. And Pastor David, can I ask you to join me up here on the stage? <clears throat> the, the question of whether we can now enter in has been resolved, right? But it demands an answer. So, these men up here, owe me money. I don't want to do it like this, Jens, but you, you know, <laughs> you've, left me, you've left me no choice. <laughs> I need my money. <laughs> These men owe me money. In fact, they owe me so much money that they can never hope to repay me. But they have different responses. So this man says to me, what money? <laughs> I owe you nothing, my chief. What money? I, don't, I do not acknowledge this debt. I don't owe you money. This man says to me, I acknowledge the debt. Here's what I'm going to do. Every month, for the rest of my life, I'm going to give you 100 rand. And I say to him, my brother, you could give me 100 rand every day for the rest of your life, and you still wouldn't touch the amount of money that you owe me. Yeah. This man says to me, I acknowledge the debt. I can do nothing to repay you. Now, I still need my money. I still need my money. So, we need a plan. Okay. Pass Caroline. You have more money than all of them put together. <laughs> Would you be willing to cover their debt? Wow. Importantly, and then she said, yes. Thank you.
Good news. Good news. I got my money back. The debt has been covered. The debt has been covered. It's been paid for. But a response is still required. Now they need to decide how they are going to respond. This man says, What debt? <laughs> he said, I'm saying to him, Look, the debt is covered. It's amazing. Isn't it great? He's going, I never owed you. You made up the debt. You made the rules. You decided it was your thing. I don't, I'm not part of it. I don't owe you a thing. This man says, The debt is paid? Amazing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to acknowledge the fact that the debt is paid. And then I'm going to keep paying you my 100, my 100 rand a, day, a, a, a month. How's that? So he's going to acknowledge that the debt is paid and then he's going to attempt to keep paying me for the debt that is already paid. This man says to me, the debt is paid? Praise the Lord. <laughs> because I could never have paid it anyway. Woo, I didn't know how we were going to get out of that one. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> Here's what I'd like you to consider. With which man are you aligned? With which man are you aligned? Are you aligned with the man who says, I've never even acknowledged that debt. I've never even thought that there was a debt. Well, I've heard people talking about it, but really, I don't engage with it. I don't believe there is a debt. It's made up. Do you align with the man who says, okay, I see the debt, and then I'm going to raise you, and I'm going to keep paying. So there's stuff that I'm going to do, and I'm going to work hard, and every single day, I'm going to do stuff to make sure that I match the debt repayment. Are you aligned with that man? Or are you aligned with the man who says, could never have done it? Praise God for Jesus. Yes. Yes. I want to finish by, by, by praying and inviting you to to pray with me and I'd like you to give me an indication an indication if you feel like you align with one of these men so if you feel like I have never I've never acknowledged this debt but the way you're putting it makes sense and I would like to acknowledge that debt if you're saying that it's paid I'm ready to acknowledge it have you been this guy who acknowledged the debt but man you try hard you try hard to pay your own way, even though the debt is paid. Are you that person? Or are you the person who's saying today, praise God, I could never have paid it. But if it's paid, I'm here to receive and accept it. Now, I don't mind where you fall here, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Could you give me an indication by raising your hand if I'm praying with you? You're acknowledging the debt. You're moving away from paying it yourself, your own works and your own striving 
or you are just falling prostrate at the feet of Jesus, ready to accept the gift of eternal life that he has won for you. Please raise your hand if you're accepting. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you see the hands that are raised and keep them raised. We're not hiding here. This is a, you know what this is? It's a public acknowledgement of debt. So it's not a private acknowledgement. It's not raising your big toes. This is raising, you're raising, I'm here, I'm acknowledging this debt. I've never acknowledged it before or I have acknowledged it before, but man, I keep trying it on my own. Uh, whichever way you fall, Father, thank you that your children are acknowledging their debt before you. But they're also acknowledging that Jesus has paid the debt. Lord, that they are appealing to that paid invoice. And they are saying, because of that paid debt, they are choosing to live debt-free. They are choosing to live in that freedom. They are accepting your gift and accepting the eternity that comes with that free gift. I pray that you would sow seeds of salvation in their hearts and seeds of eternity. Thank you, Father. What I'm also going to do is because we love you, I'm going to invite you, if you raised your hand and you received that prayer, to come meet me up front here so that we can celebrate with you, pray with you, and then help you with some next steps in how we live debt-free. Can you come to the front if you receive that prayer? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We glorify you. We glorify you, Lord. May the Lamb receive the reward of His suffering. Family, I would like to invite you to say a short prayer with me. Um, and we're going to say it together because it's a family moment. We love, we love you. Um, but it's just a short prayer that allows you to partner and engage with this moment. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, today I choose to acknowledge my debt before you. I'm a sinner. And I have no hope of repaying my debt to you. But Jesus has paid the debt. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have paid the debt. I choose to receive your precious gift. I believe that you are my Savior and my Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.